I was going through your whole, um, I guess, track record. And honestly, you have a, it's an extensive one and it's a very um, impressive one, I would say. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I try, man. <laughs> You're kind um, of, yeah. So then the first question I would be is like, uh, can you just give a rundown basically on your entrepreneur journey that uh, you went through? Yeah, sure. Um, so my entrepreneur journey is not uh, like a, a clear, easy break in, in my career um, because I've always tried to figure out entrepreneurship um, while working. And that's something sort of that I preach a lot about. It's that you don't have to go all in into something and risk everything. You can be a little bit smarter about it, um, which can increase the chance of you actually being successful at that thing. So uh, for my own entrepreneurial journey, um, I would say my entrepreneurial journey is a mix of what I've done as like my own brand, like building my own brand, podcast, newsletter, social, build that community, all that. That's one side of it. And the other side of it is working with startups in like a founder or CEO or executive in early stage. Because I also, that's also very entrepreneurial, even though not all the time, like it hasn't always been my company per se, right? Like even right now, um, I'm, I'm co-founder in a company, but I joined at a later stage. Uh, in my past company that was acquired, um, if you look at the Muppet Excitem, I was CRO. So I got in, I was like, you know, leading all the sales and marketing in a very, very small organization and we grew it and it was acquired, but it wasn't like my company. So I, I work in a lot of startups. I've worked with startups for um, probably the majority of my career now um, in the, in the, you know, in the past, like four or five years, been mostly startups. Um, and then uh, also I've been building my own brand simultaneously, like while I've worked with startups. So uh, it hasn't been like an all in now, why have I chosen to work with startups? It's it's for a variety of reasons. I, I like like I like working with startups. When I first moved from like a very large, very large organization that I started my career with, moved into a slightly smaller organization, and that company was actually acquired by a, a private equity firm. Um, I wasn't on the cap table, but I wasn't like a sales leadership position. I saw the opportunity. So I first of all, I saw like the exposure that I got to all sides of the business, which was great. Something that you don't get in a very large company. You don't get access to everything. You only get access to the specific job function that you're doing. When you move into a, a smaller company, and when I say smaller, it wasn't like super, super startup. It was like about 20 years old and 10 million in revenue. But coming from a billion dollar company into a $10 million, uh, you know, ARR company, it was like a huge, huge 180 from what I had experienced. And I had access to everything. So I had access to sales and that's what I was focused on, but also marketing. I was, you know, walking over, speaking to sales engineers, working with customer success, uh, post-sales support, like every, you get a, you get a really good handle on what you have to do to really grow a business because you see all the different aspects of a business. So moving into a smaller company, I really enjoyed that. And I'm like, Hey, well, if I enjoy this, I have, I have the energy, I have the capacity, you know, I have the time right now in the bandwidth, which is really important. If you're going to commit to a career of working in startups, that is a little bit crazy. I would always say that it's a little bit easier just to work in a large company. Um, it's going to be more work 10 out of 10 times if you work in a startup environment. But you're younger in your career. You want to learn as much as you possibly can. You have the energy. You have the bandwidth. And on top of that, if you're really good at what you do and you can work your way into an executive position in a startup, um, that's where you get the most leverage, right? Like you, you put in the work 
But if you have a piece of the pie, if you're, if you're on the cap table, if you have a little bit of equity and you do great work and that company ends up being acquired, well, that's like the, that's the dream. That's what, that's what you go for, right? That's, and you, and you kind of like, you can, you can balance it out because a lot of startups fail. A lot of startups don't succeed. So the earlier you get, the more risk you take with your career um, and the more work you do, because the earlier you join a startup, the chances of you having equity are a lot higher, significant equity that can actually make a, like a meaningful change in your life if that company was to be acquired or to exit. So the earlier you get in, the more risk, the more work, but ultimately the, the higher reward. So for me, it was a matter of, okay, so I like working in a startup environment. I, I know I have the energy and the bandwidth for it. You know, at the time, like I still, still don't have kids, but like I didn't have kids at the time. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a tough decision for me. It was go in, work with startups and have the, the biggest possible win because I can afford to invest that much time now. And then I can figure out what I want to do with my career in the future, whatever that is. So that was sort of the mindset going into startups. And that's why it's important to understand that mindset because it's not easy to even work with startups, let alone start your own thing. Um, now, starting my own company, and when I say company, it isn't like I quit my job to start my company. My company originally was my personal brand. So I understood the power of personal brand. I understood the power of building community. Um, you look at people, um, uh, love or hate these people, the, the Gary Vaynerchuk's, the Grant Cardone's of the world that have built a massive following and a massive community, and they can launch businesses. It seems like overnight, obviously, it's a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of money, but they have a huge audience to launch businesses against. But I knew that the precursor to being able to do that, because I didn't really have like a business idea that I really, really, really wanted to execute against, was if I can build that community, then I can figure out what to do with it. Because if you have a group of people that just enjoy your content, love what you're doing, and they and they become your tribe. So almost, then you can do whatever you like. You can monetize that audience. You, in terms of like allowing advertisers to access that audience through the form of like what an influencer would do with like paid social media sponsorship, or if I have like a newsletter or a podcast, you know, I can monetize those as well because I have an audience. So the goal was, I understand that the, I, I understand of the of the working with startups plus building my brand. All right. Um, now the company in mention is that the on my patch or on me patch? On me, yeah, on me. So um, I'm the CEO, yeah. co-founder of, of on me uh, about five months ago now. Oh, all right. Um, what kind of? I mean, what drove that idea? Well, it, it was it was uh, right company, right time. What I mean by that is uh, the idea. I'll give you the idea of why I wanted to join. And um, why I joined at like an executive and co-founder level and I sort of, you know, took a chance on this company, but also the premise behind the actual company. Um, so my last company, Excitem or Swift, as we were branded later on, that was acquired by Grass Valley about six months ago. Um, so after the acquisition, uh, normally, normally there is some sort of clause for the executive team, and I was CRO at Excitem slash Swift, uh, normally there's some sort of clause that that executive team has to stick around. There was not after the acquisition. So for me, um, I could do whatever I liked. I could I could go anywhere. Like after you get acquired, there's no more opportunity. There's no more exit opportunity, right? Like you're never going to get acquired again. Um, so I didn't at that point, six months ago, feel like I just wanted to work for a big company for the rest of my life. So I was seeing what presented itself.
um, and one of one of my friends actually who was, who was COO at on me um, knew that my company was acquired and, and he said Scott you should take a look at what we're doing with on me like we're at that point they were six seven months old ish um, they were very very new they'd only been selling for a little bit and he's like we could really use like your sales and your marketing expertise uh, you were to come in at a senior level um, and you know, we'll talk to the investors, talk to the board, but I think that this would be a really good opportunity. So, you know, then it's up to me to audit the company, audit what they're doing, seeing if it's a good fit for my talent um, and like where I'm at as well. Like, can I actually add value to this company? Like, is this something that I can, you know, take to the next level, you know, satisfy what the board, the investors want to do with the company? Um, ultimately, it was, a, I thought it was a huge opportunity, mostly because I've always worked in tech, but I'm also a practitioner and a customer of health and wellness products. Like I'm, I'm, I've been playing sports for forever. Uh, you know, every like vitamin supplement that an athlete would take, um, I've, you know, I've tried them out and it's a lot of pills and powders and whatnot. And it's the supplement industry has kind of stayed the same for the, I don't even know before I was born, like it's never really changed that much. Um, so what on me does, it's very novel. It's a, I call it like health tech and wellness because what it does is it is a, a transdermal patch. So it's a patch, like a nicotine patch. Um, nicotine patches really haven't done much in the past. I don't even know how long they've been around for, but they haven't really morphed into anything else. So what the board founders, investors have done, uh, and what I'm working on now with on me is they have found, um, the same technology using nicotine patches. They found a way to allow it to deliver any vitamin, any mineral, any, any botanical, any substance that you normally get in a pill from like a health food store. You can put that in a patch. You can stick that on your skin and now you have sustained release of those vitamins directly into your bloodstream. So it's a better way to consume supplements, vitamins. You're removing all of the additives that come in pills. Every time you take a pill, you'll notice this. If you take a whole bunch of pills, um, you ever like, it sounds gross, but like your pee is like neon yellow. It's because there's all these filler that your body doesn't need. So your body just gets rid of it. So the whole premise is let's cut that Let's get rid of all the stuff, all the filler and pills, and know that if you are taking a supplement, say you take anything from caffeine to uh, melatonin to anything in the world, like any B vitamins, like anything in the world, if you want that in your body, and that's something that's going to you know, help you with whatever you're trying to achieve by, by supplementing your diet, you can take that in a patch. And if that patch says there's 25 milligrams of caffeine, that 25 milligrams of caffeine is going directly into your bloodstream with no fillers because it passes through your dermis. Um, so it's a little bit innovative. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a lot innovative, actually. I think it's a lot innovative. Um, and on top of that, it's the perfect timing for this product, in my opinion, because I see other people that are competitors in our space. They're getting investment, even though they've been around for five, six years, they're just starting to get attention. People are very conscientious and cognizant of what they're putting into their body. So for me, it's a mirroring up of tech, innovation, disrupting an industry, plus the fact that I would be a consumer of this if I saw it on a shelf. And that's like super, super exciting for me. And then on top of that, the fact that it's early stage, I get in, I've scaled companies before, I've exited companies before, so I know how to do that piece of it. And then also, I'm a huge, like, I'm a marketer. Like, I love marketing. You look at anything I put out into the world, I love marketing. I love figuring out how to draw attention to things. I have so I can have and I am having so much more fun marketing uh, a D2C product than I was able to have, in my opinion, with the B2B product.
because you can now figure out UGC, influencers, TikTok. You can do so much stuff that you can try to do with like a B2B product, but it's like very hard. So you have a lot more fun with your marketing too. So it was like the marrying up of everything. Um, and it got me super psyched about it. And I joined on as co-founder and CEO. So this is what, this is my nine to five. I'm an operator now while still doing like the personal brand stuff. That's awesome. I was, I was looking at it and it, it does seem very, I guess, innovative in the sense of taking vitamins. Like I myself take super, real super vitamins. Blue ocean, super blue ocean. Like, like this is actually, this is like a, it's a good thing, but a bad thing, right? Like, you know, blue ocean means like there's no competition. <laughs> really? There's not, there's not like there, there is competition, but there really isn't. Yeah. Like I'm not selling socks. Like, I didn't start a sock company, right? It was just like everyone and their mother makes socks or like anything, any consumer product that has a lot of competition and the category is really, um, really saturated for this. There isn't a lot of competition, but that means that the focus is no longer winning market share from other competitors. The focus is educating and, and educating people why this is a better delivery mechanism than a traditional pill, which is difficult because people have been taking pills their whole life pills and powders, right? Like that's what you get from a supplement store. So a lot of education, um, but ultimately like that's, that's what's exciting about it. Like, you know, it's, it's, um, it is not meant to sound pretentious at all, but when I look at the opportunity and I only say that because the example I'm going to give you is such a successful individual and he did something so incredibly well, but the, the example that I pull from is when Salesforce, <laughs> Mark Benioff, we're trying to displace like Oracle and, and all the other places that had like on-premise servers. And Benioff was focused on, um, and actually this story, this story is actually from a book that's behind me. It's a great book called Play Bigger. And they sort of outline this category creation strategy that Benioff plus a couple other founders did. But Benioff basically created the category of cloud by not selling Salesforce, but like destroying the concept, like shitting on the concept of on-premise and creating the concept of cloud, cloud computing, which everybody now is like, a, it's like almost like a, it's it's such a common business term, but when Benioff was taking Salesforce to market, there was no cloud computing. Uh, so everybody had big ass servers sitting in a room in their business, like big, big, big computers. So Benioff created the concept of cloud, helped people understand the concept of SaaS, like software as a service, cloud, like don't have that stuff on premise in my office, like just let us take care of it. And then when he created that category, then look what product was perfectly positioned to sell to that market, Salesforce, his company. So the whole premise of what I'm doing at OnMe is creating a category, creating a category because the category does not exist. And once you create the category, then you can sell into it because you're the one that created the category. So now everybody, you know, the, the goal is if I ask somebody, how do you take your, your vitamins or pills or whatever they're saying, or vitamins or supplements or whatever, excuse me, they're saying with a patch, that's, that's the goal. And then I, like, if I do that, I don't care at the end of the day, which company that, that you're using that has a patch, because that means that I've created the category. And if I can create that category where patch is synonymous with vitamins, we're, we're doing pretty damn good, but that is really the goal. And that's why it's a really interesting challenge to, to, to take on, but like, I want to, I want a really big win out of this, but that's why, that's why I signed up for it. Cause I think there's an opportunity for that. All right. Um, so did you, have you always been into sales and marketing or was it something that was acquired along the way? Um, I kind of jumped into it early. Uh, 
I've always, yeah, I've always worked in it. Um, I don't think I sought it out like when I was very early on, like when I first started working in sales, it just paid the best money and I wasn't a bartender, which also paid a lot of money at like, you know, in, in university. So it just seemed to pay a lot. And then as you start to explore like different career opportunities, you realize if you generate money and revenue for companies, um, it is going to pay a lot. And then you reimpose most of the, of the working with startups plus building my brand. All right. Um, now the company and mention, is that the on my patch or on me patch? On me. Yeah. On me. So um, I'm CEO, co-founder of, of on me about five months ago now. Oh, all right. Um, what kind of, I mean, what drove that idea? Well, it, it was, it was uh, right company, right time. What I mean by that is uh, the idea, I'll give you the idea of why I wanted to join and um, why I joined at like an executive and co-founder level. And I sort of, you know, took a chance on this company, but also the premise behind the actual company. Um, so my last company, Excitem or Swift, as we were branded later on, that was acquired by Grass Valley about six months ago. Um, so after the acquisition, uh, normally, normally there is some sort of clause for the executive team, and I was CRO at Excitem slash Swift, uh, normally there's some sort of clause that that executive team has to stick around. There was not after the acquisition. So for me, um, I could do whatever I liked. I could, I could go anywhere. Like after you get acquired, there's no more opportunity. There's no more exit opportunity, right? Like you're never going to get acquired again. Um, so I didn't at that point, six months ago, feel like I just wanted to work for a big company for the rest of my life. So I was seeing what presented itself. Um, and one of, one of my friends actually, who was, who was COO at OnMe, um, knew that my company was acquired. And, and he said, Scott, you should take a look at what we're doing with OnMe. Like we're, at that point, they were six, seven months old-ish. Um, they were very, very new. They'd only been selling for a little bit. And he's like, we could really use like your sales and your marketing expertise if you were to come in at a senior level um, and, you know, we'll talk to the investors, talk to the board, but I think that this would be a really good opportunity. So, you know, then it's up to me to audit the company, audit what they're doing, seeing if it's a good fit for my talent um, and like where I'm at as well. Like, can I actually add value to this company? Like, is this something that I can, you know, take to the next level, you know, satisfy what the board, the investors want to do with the company. Um, ultimately it was a, I thought it was a huge opportunity, mostly because, I've always worked in tech, but I'm also a practitioner and a customer of health and wellness products. Like I'm, I'm, I've been playing sports for forever. Uh, you know, every like vitamin supplement that an athlete would take, um, I've, you know, I've tried them out and it's a lot of pills and powders and whatnot. And it's the supplement industry has kind of stayed the same for the, I don't even know before I was born, like it's never really changed that much. Um, so what on me does, it's very novel. It's a, I call it like health tech and wellness because what it does is it is a, a transdermal patch. So it's a patch, like a nicotine patch. Um, nicotine patches really haven't done much in the past. I don't even know how long they've been around for, but they haven't really morphed into anything else. So what the board founders, investors have done, uh, and what I'm working on now with on me is they have found um, the same technology using nicotine patches. They found a way to allow it to deliver any vitamin, any mineral, any, any botanical, any substance that you normally get in a pill from like a health food store. You can put that in a patch 
you can stick that on your skin and now you have sustained release of those vitamins directly into your bloodstream. So it's a better way to consume supplements, vitamins. You're removing all of the additives that come in pills. Every time you take a pill, you'll notice this. If you take a whole bunch of pills, um, you ever like, it sounds gross, but like your pee is like neon yellow. It's because there's all these filler that your body doesn't need. So your body just gets rid of it. So the whole premise is let's cut that. Let's get rid of all the stuff, all the filler and pills and know that if you are taking a supplement, say you take anything from caffeine to uh, melatonin to anything in the world, like any B vitamins, like anything in the world, if you want that in your body, and that's something that's going to, you know, help you with whatever you're trying to achieve by, by supplementing your diet, you can take that in a patch. And if that patch says there's 25 milligrams of caffeine, that 25 milligrams of caffeine is going directly into your bloodstream with no fillers because it passes through your dermis. Um, so it's a little bit innovative. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a lot innovative, actually. I think it's a lot innovative. Um, and on top of that, it's the perfect timing for this product, in my opinion, because I see other people that are competitors in our space, they're getting investment, even though they've been around for five, six years, they're just starting to get attention. People are very conscientious and cognizant of what they're putting into their body. So for me, it's the mirroring up of tech, innovation, disrupting an industry, plus the fact that I would be a consumer of this if I saw it on a shelf. And that's like super, super exciting for me. And then on top of that, the fact that it's early stage, I get in, I've scaled companies before, I've exited companies before, so I know how to do that piece of it. And then also, I'm a huge, like, I'm a marketer. Like, I love marketing. You look at anything I put out into the world, I love marketing. I love figuring out how to draw attention to things. I have so, I can have, and I am having so much more fun marketing uh, a D2C product than I was able to have, in my opinion, with a B2B product because you can now figure out UGC, influencers, TikTok, you can do so much stuff that you can try to do with like a B2B product, but it's like very hard. So you have a lot more fun with your marketing too. So it was like the marrying up of everything. Um, and it got me super psyched about it. And I joined on as co-founder and CEO. So this is what, this is my nine to five. I'm an operator now while still doing like the personal brand stuff. That's awesome. I was, I was looking at it and it, it does seem very, I guess, innovative in the sense of taking vitamins like i myself take super, super, blue ocean. super blue ocean like like this is actually this is like a it's a good thing but a bad thing right like you know blue ocean means like there's no competition <laughs> really there's not there's not like there, there is competition but there like, really isn't yeah. like i'm not selling socks like, i didn't start a sock company right it was just like everyone and their mother makes socks or like anything any consumer product that has a lot of competition and the category is really um really saturated for this there isn't a lot of competition but that means that the focus is no longer winning market share from other competitors. The focus is educating and, and educating people why this is a better delivery mechanism than a traditional pill, which is difficult because people have been taking pills their whole life, pills and powders, right? Like that's what you get from a supplement store. So a lot of education, um, but ultimately like that's, that's what's exciting about it. Like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just not meant to sound pretentious at all. But when I look at the opportunity, and I only say that because the example I'm going to give you is such a successful individual and he did something so incredibly well. But the, the example that I pull from is when Salesforce, <laughs> Mark Benioff, were trying to displace like Oracle and, and all the other places that had like on-premise servers. And Benioff was focused on 
Um, and actually this story, this story is actually from a book that's behind me. It's a great book called Play Bigger. And they sort of outline this category creation strategy that Benioff plus a couple other founders did. But Benioff basically created the category of cloud by not selling Salesforce, but like destroying the concept, like shitting on the concept of on-premise and creating the concept of cloud, cloud computing, which everybody now is like, a, it's like almost like a, it's, it's such a common business term, but when Benioff was taking Salesforce to market, there was no cloud computing. Uh, so everybody had big ass servers sitting in a room in their business, like big, big, big computers. So Benioff created the concept of cloud, helped people understand the concept of SaaS, like software as a service, cloud, like don't have that stuff on premise in my office, like just let us take care of it. And then when he created that category, then look what product was perfectly positioned to sell to that market, Salesforce, his company. So the whole premise of what I'm doing at OnMe is creating a category, creating a category because the category does not exist. And once you create the category, then you can sell into it because you're the one that created the category. So now everybody, you know, the, the goal is if I ask somebody, how do you take your, your vitamins or pills or whatever they're saying, or vitamins or supplements or whatever, excuse me, they're saying with a patch, that's, that's the goal. And then I, like, if I do that, I don't care at the end of the day which company that, that you're using that has a patch because that means that I've created the category. And if I can create that category where patch is synonymous with vitamins, we're, we're doing pretty damn good. But that is really the goal. And that's why it's a really interesting challenge to, to, to take on. But like, I, wanna, I want a really big win out of this. But that's why, that's why I signed up for it because I think there's an opportunity for that. All right. Um... So did you, have you always been into sales and marketing or was it something that was acquired along the way? Um, I kind of jumped into it early. Uh, I've always, yeah, I've always worked in it. Um, I don't think I sought it out like when I was very early on, like when I first started working in sales, it just paid the best money and I wasn't a bartender, which also paid a lot of money at it, like, you know, in, in university. So it just seemed to pay a lot. And then as you start to explore like different career opportunities, you realize if you generate money and revenue for companies, um, it is gonna pay a lot. And you a lot of them told me, don't take criticism for somebody you wouldn't want to trade spots with. So meaning, you know, if though, like my father, my father's a mechanic. If my father were to ridicule me nonstop about school, it's like, do you accept it? or not. And from my mentors, I would not because I never would want to be in his shoes. Um, yeah. Now, so criticism was my influence. I know you have podcasts and you share guest spot with plenty of people that are very successful. So off the top of your head, could you tell me some of the most influence, influential people that you've spoken to, whether on your podcast or private conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, geez, there's been a lot of shows. I'm going to, I'm going to totally blank on really great conversations, which is kind of shitty, but it, it is what it is. So, um, I'll do two that stood out to me for different reasons. Um, so one of them, uh, <laughs> love him or hate him again, I, I guess I, I referenced to many controversial people, but Anthony Scaramucci, who was like Trump's, uh, communication director for like 12 days. He's like a big hedge fund dude. Um, he said something to me that I thought was like a really great anecdote uh he said 
and and I believe him when he says it. He said, like, if I went back to, and I'm going to paraphrase, so if someone goes back and listens, then it's not the exact quote, like, excuse me, but it was, like, two years ago. So anyway, um, said, he said, like, if I go back to, like, New York in, like, you know, an 800-square-foot apartment, and I had, like, no money, and all I had, like, jeans, like, a white T-shirt, and that's all I had to my name, like, I have no doubt I could do it again because I always count on me. Like, he always counts on himself. No matter what, he could restart today. And he's probably worth, like, definitely over a hundred million. I don't know exactly how much, but like over a hundred million bucks for sure. He's quite successful. And he feels like if he had to restart again, he always, he can always make it back because he can just count on himself. And I thought that was like a, I, I don't know where people want to end up in life, but I feel like not enough people count on themselves. And I feel like a lot of people count on other people to get them to where they want to be. And I just thought like, that is such a smart lesson. Like if you can just reframe where you want to be in life and just uh, like Yako Willing talks about it a lot, like, like extreme ownership he has a damn book about it, but like, like everything in your life, whether or not you want to admit it, whether or not it's even valid, just assume it's on you. Just assume it's on you. And all of a sudden, like you have complete control, even if it's not on you, just assume it's on you. And it's fine because that means that you take complete, complete ownership, complete responsibility. And when you have complete responsibility, you just act differently. Like you act differently. Like the, the moves you make, the things you ask for, the things you say yes to and no to, um, it's a great mentality to have. So that was one thing that I thought was great advice and I wish more people thought like that. Um, another really inspiring story is uh, mostly because it also, it resonates with me a little bit. It's a very recent podcast, just went up. Um, it's Kara Golden. So she is uh, the founder of Hint, Hint Water. Um, you see them everywhere now. Um, obviously, going into CPG and direct consumer like I'm doing, I my story uh, my story is I was in tech. I pivoted to CPG like and something that I don't really know. I'm figuring it out. Her story was the same, although there's a point in her story that's a little bit more impactful. So she was in tech. She was a vice president at AOL. And then she went into direct-to-consumer. And the reason why she went into direct-to-consumer and she doubled down on it was because she was in tech, VP tech. She moved into direct-to-consumer. She was trying to figure out how to get Kent Water at the time, when she was first starting out, into stores. And she called, she called somebody or she was at a conference and she was speaking to a vice president or somebody very high up at Coca-Cola. And she was telling her story about how she pivoted in from tech into, into direct-to-consumer. And... The guy was apparently just a complete asshole and he he just was completely derogatory. And he said something like sweetie or dear or something like that, like just like completely like demeaning to her. And like that, that thing was what caused her to not give up on Hint at a very early stage and to actually double down on it. Because she's basically like, fuck this dude. If he doesn't fucking think I can do it, I'm going to prove that I can do it. It was like a... The general tone of the conversation was the guy was basically saying, like, you don't know what you're doing. You're it was like a little bit sexist with like a lot condescending. And, and that was really what drove her to figure it out. And I thought that that was like the coolest story, just because to your point with criticism being like that factor in your life that caused you to completely pivot. If more people reacted like that to criticism, they would also be way more successful. And that was the epitome of. Like basically fuck you. And now I think 
like I think Hint is still private, but they've had offers from I'm sure they've had offers at this point from like large companies that would totally acquire them. And it's just and, and I remember she was saying something about that same VP or she had some inside knowledge that that same VP that was like basically talking down to her like a year and a half later, Hint was on their like competition to watch out for slide in a presentation. So it was just like it was a really it was a great story and it was like this actually happened to a woman and it caused her to build a massive brand. Um, and I just thought it was really inspiring um, because most people don't react to criticism that way. They would just, if you started a CPG brand or a direct consumer brand and a VP at Coke was like, you're fucked. I don't know if I'd have like the same willpower to keep going. Like, it'd be like super demoralizing. Like that's super not okay for him to have said, but I mean like still it, I don't think it would have reacted the same way. So it's like, super um it's just really motivating so what is success to you what, what would you consider success um i feel like my decision has been influenced because so many people say the same thing so now it's just like it's like it's like imprinted in my brain because it's like it's actually a very smart answer that's so my answer i think is the same as everybody else's because as i grow my business as i grow my side hustle um you make more money and that's great. And like, I moved to a CEO position and I get some advertisers. So like you make some money and it, it's cool, but like, it's not success because it's not freedom. And the answer is, is freedom is success. Freedom is not being accountable to anybody's schedule. I think that you could be worth, you could be worth a million, 10 million, a hundred million plus. And if you are getting up and you are working yourself to death every single day and you're not doing what you want to be doing in your life, doesn't mean you don't have to work, but if you are, always accountable to somebody and you don't love what you're doing. Um, I do not think you're successful. I think you have, I think you have a very sad life and you probably have a lot of nice things. Probably people think you're successful, but I can't imagine you're happy. And I think that's why, I think that's why we have to redefine what success is and it's okay to work hard and it's okay to make money, but like, my God, find a way to secure some sort of freedom in your life so that you're doing the things you want to do. And ultimately by working with companies that I like to work with, by building startups, by doing the side hustle. My goal is to make enough money so that I only have to work on stuff that I ever want to work on. And that's it. And I don't care if I'm not like the most, the, the richest person, as long as I'm focused on doing things that I like doing. And as I grow the side hustle, I've noticed that like for a point, the side hustle was turning into like very stressful because I was doing a lot of stuff myself. And then it got to the point where I could hire people to help. And then all of a sudden, something that was fun that turned to not fun turned into fun again. So like, obviously money does buy a certain amount of freedom. I'm not naive to that, but I mean, just focus on, focus on finding a way to become a little bit freer so that you aren't tied to anything. And that could be uh, making money and uh, finding ways to, you know, invest in assets that pay you while you sleep. Uh, it could be starting a side hustle that allows you to eventually move away from your job. It could be starting a business and making sure that that business doesn't turn into just another job and you can actually hire out a team and then you can actually build a staff um, and you can scale that because I know a lot of people that start businesses, then they just turn into like high paying jobs, but they're working like, you know, way more and they don't have a life and they don't have time for family that I don't think that's what success is. So I think success is synonymous with freedom. Um, so with all the books, um, in the background, I'm assuming you enjoy reading. 
Um, there's I, um, I, now it's funny enough. I actually do audibles now more. Actually, I, I'll even speak to that. I actually don't enjoy reading anymore, and I'll give you a reason why. Um, I enjoy audibles because I can do it and I can multitask. But I actually enjoy podcasts more than books because I find that the author in a book is required to fill a lot of fluff. Like if you ever go into a book, there's like anecdotes and stories and stuff and a lot of stuff that's like not super, super important. So I actually like if, if I audible a book or if I even like I read sometimes, but I usually audible. But if there is a book that I really, really like, I'll go listen to the author on podcasts because on podcasts, like their time is compressed and they'll usually only hit the main points. Um, anyway, that's not your question at all. I knew you were going with that. But I mean, that's sort of like a, a little like if you really want the best stuff out of any any book. Find the author, listen to a podcast they're on, and they'll probably hit on like their main points, like right around the time when that book was released. So that means those are the points that the author actually cares about. All right. Um, so then what would be your top three podcasts? Feel free to shout out your own. No, that's I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um I'll give I'll give one book and then I'll give two podcasts. I'll give is that cool? I yeah, that's that? fine. Okay. So the one book is the one book that I already referenced. I think it's a great book because it forces you to look at building businesses differently and category creation. It's called Play Bigger. And it's like the one that's like literally, literally right behind me. Um, that's one of my favorite books. Uh, two podcasts that I love. Hmm, which ones am I going to shout out? Which ones am I going to shout out? I'm going to stick with ones. So my, my show is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, and I'm super, super grateful to be part of that. But there's two other shows in the network that I really, really love. So one of them is, uh, and this is a bigger one, so people will probably know it, but it's called My First Million. Um, so it's, uh, 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 oh, my God, I'm blanking on their names. Um, the guys, uh, Sam Parr and Sean Puri. So... Uh, Sam Parr um, started and exited the media company, The Hustle. You write newsletters, you, I'm sure you've heard of them. So he started the podcast with Sean Curry, who also sold a, sold a company. I can't remember which company he sold. It was like a tech company. I think it was like a Twitch something or other, some sort of product that was acquired by Twitch, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, anyway, so um, they started the podcast, My First Million. They just speak about like various business ideas. So they speak about like all these like really weird, innovative, niche niche like business ideas that um and they speak about them like with founders and like with like incredible people so they're just like it's like they're just shooting the shit and just talking about different business ideas and i think it's like a, a great it's a great podcast to listen to for like motivation and inspiration on business because they're all like they're both like really smart dudes and like the, the people they bring on are super smart as well um so that's one and then the other one that i really like and i respect him for doing this is uh guy kawasaki's remarkable people so Guy Kawasaki, uh, like one of the first employees at Apple, I love his podcast because he researches the shit out of his guests before he brings them on. And he asks them, like, I wish, I, like, I've never, I, I research, but I don't research the level that he researches. Like, he finds, like, things in their life that nobody's ever heard about before, and he'll ask them these questions. Like, it's a really, it's a really well done podcast. And he spends a lot of time, and he's super thoughtful, um, and he's a, he's a good interviewer as well. So... I would say if you are looking for an interview podcast, both could work, but Remarkable People is really good. It's part of the HubSpot network. And also um, uh, also uh, My First Million, which is the first one I mentioned by uh, Sam and Sean. They do a really good job 
of just brainstorming business ideas. And if you're super, you know, interested in me, I have a podcast too, but like, uh, I don't like sharing my own stuff. So you can link it somewhere in my bio, but those are two good ones you should check out. All right. Awesome. So pretty much that's all of the questions I've had. Um, I, I, I can personally say I've gotten some better insight. Um, like I grew up in a, a very small, well, move to and kind of develop more life at a very small, isolated area to where everybody had the same mindset. And it's that generational thing of they're stuck in their mindset. So it's yeah. be safe, get a job and, you know, where, 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 where oh, those... mountaintop Pennsylvania. I have no idea where that is. Exactly. Um, I've driven through Pennsylvania like a lot, but I don't know. I don't, I've never heard of mountaintop. Well, um, yeah, I, I would not recommend going, but <laughs> it's, um, I don't know if you've watched the office. Yeah. Uh, it takes place yeah. in Scranton, which is, yeah. it's probably a 25 minute drive. That's so fun. So you're like a suburb of Scranton, which is already like a smallerish town. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That is small. All right. It's, uh, I don't know. It was not the hottest stuff. Let me tell you. Well, not, this is why, this is why, you know, um, it's cool that you can have access to anybody now. I mean, like half the, half my show was done like in pandemic. Right. So like I, I was in Toronto when I was doing my show and like, like everything, like Toronto's still locked down, but I mean like everything was locked down. So I was doing stuff virtual. I was talking to like incredible people all over the world. Um, so, I mean, no, no excuses now, for sure. Uh, you have access to everything you could ever need, which is actually funny. I was actually listening to another podcast. You know Patrick Bet David? No. He's like, he's a big podcaster. You look him up. He's uh, He does valuetainment on YouTube. Uh, he has like several million subs. Uh, if you look in the podcast, you'll find him eventually. But he was like running off this stat, like how, you know, Everybody has access to everything. Every business tip, every entrepreneur, every motivational speaker, every life person, every fitness person. Like everybody has access to literally everything. Yet the same amount of people, you know, take care of their health. The same amount of people start their business. Same amount of people. So, like, even though access to information is is more accessible than ever, people still don't take advantage of it. So, like at the end of the day, like you, like I said, you are either going to do it or you're not. Yeah. It's Kind of like uh, in the four-hour work week, and Ferris gives the college students the whole goal of cold emailing famous people who they think they have no shot of receiving a response from, and then lo and yeah. behold, one person does it, and he gets responses from ex-presidents and ex-CEOs of companies. Which um, yeah. I think I'm finding more comfortability, personal, like personally, through especially with a, a media company. I kind of, I kind of need to. Got to. That's how I got my first podcast. Though.